0: The term fiduciary responsibility or fiduciary duty describes the legal obligation or the legal requirement that certain people have to act in the best interest of another person, especially in financial matters. So to have a fiduciary duty means that under the law that you are a guardian or a trustee, that you have been entrusted with something. So, sometimes when people leave a large inheritance to a young child, they might have their money, that money, put into a trust fund until the child grows old enough to, to manage that money for themselves. Until then, a trustee, a, another person, is chosen to manage the money on behalf of the child. Now that trustee has a fiduciary duty, a legal responsibility to act in the best interest of the child. It would be a violation of their fiduciary duty, for example, if they took the money that they were managing on behalf of that child and invested it in their own business in order to benefit themselves. The trustee has a legal responsibility to do what is best not for themselves, but for the child. Why is that so? It's because the money that trustee is managing is not his own. He's managing it on behalf of another. In that way, to have a fiduciary duty is to have a legal requirement to be a faithful steward. The law recognizes that if you are put in charge of someone else's money, you have an obligation to faithfully steward it on their behalf. You have a a duty to faithfully steward what you have been entrusted with. A church, in a similar way, Christians owe A duty of stewardship to the Lord. That's what we see in our scripture passage for today. You can go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be in Luke 19 verses 11 through 27. Why is it that Christians owe a duty of stewardship to the Lord? It's because the things that we have in this life are not ultimately our own. They belong to the Lord. Even our life is not ultimately our own. It belongs to the Lord. Therefore, the Christian life can rightly be described as a life of stewardship. So please follow along as I start reading in verse 11 of Luke 19. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called 10 of his servants, gave them 10 minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, You will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth, because I was afraid of you, since you're a harsh man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant." If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, why then did you not put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. And dear Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would use your word to make us faithful stewards. Father, I pray that this morning I would be a faithful steward of your word in the gospel. Father, work by your spirit, make my words clear. Father, we pray that they would be, I pray that they would be faithful we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, friends, the Christian life can rightly be described as a life of stewardship. Christians are called to faithfully steward all that they have been entrusted with by the Lord, all for the glory of the Lord. In many ways, then, it is faithfulness that is the measure of the Christian life. The question presented to you by Jesus' parable here is Have you been faithful with what you have received? Have you been faithful with what you have received? Well, to help us consider that one question, I want to ask you two additional questions from this parable. And these questions will serve as the outline of the sermon. You can find these questions in your bulletin. The first question is What are your instructions? What are your instructions? And then second, will you be found faithful? Will you be found faithful? So first, what are your instructions? Well, to set the the context of this passage, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was right around the corner. In fact, it is the very next thing that Luke records in his gospel. And the expectation of many Jews to include many of Jesus' own disciples was that the Messiah was going to immediately overthrow the Roman authorities and restore the kingdom to Israel. So if Jesus was the Messiah, the expectation was that he was about, he was just about to begin his earthly rule and reign. He was about to restore the kingdom to Israel. As we see in verse 11, it was that wrong expectation that led Jesus to tell this parable in the first place. Well, Jesus was not on the way to Jerusalem to receive a crown of gold and jewels, but to receive a crown of thorns. He was not going to be elevated to the throne, but instead to hang on a cross and descend to the grave. Yet as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, following Jesus' death, God exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So following his resurrection, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is even now ruling and reigning. He ascended into his kingship, if you will. But his full and visible rule, the consummation or the full establishment of God's kingdom, the full exercise of his kingly authority, the visible visible rule, well, it awaits his return. This is what we see in the parable. Look at verse 12. Uh, A nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king, and then to return. Oh, this would have been a familiar idea to Jesus' original audience. Because Israel at that time was under Roman rule, its rulers had to receive authority from Rome in order to rule. So therefore, Herod the Great, the same Herod who the wise men visited, well, he traveled to the distant country of Rome to receive his authority to rule over Judea. Following his death, his son, Herod Archelaus, did the exact same thing. He had to travel to Rome. But the nobleman in this parable did not refer to Herod, but to Jesus himself. Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension back to heaven were just around the corner. He was about to depart. He was about to leave the earth. And Jesus made clear that there would be a period of waiting before he returned. It would not be immediate. But friends, we are still in that time of waiting. We are still in the period between Jesus' ascension back to heaven and his visible return in glory. We're still waiting for Jesus to come again. But this should not come as a surprise because Jesus prophesied that it would be so. He taught right here that it would be so. But the good news, the good news, is that Jesus left clear instructions about what we are to do as we await his return. Well, we're to faithfully steward what he has entrusted us with. We are to faithfully work for his glory. friends, it can be easy to be faithful for short periods of time. When, you know, like if I do this for an hour, I'm going to get this reward. But it's much more difficult to be faithful for a long period of time, for the course of your life, as you're awaiting Jesus return, as you're awaiting Jesus return. That's what he called us to do. Be faithful with what he has entrusted us with. So as the nobleman in this parable departed, he entrusted ten of his servants with one mina each. One mina was worth about four months' worth of wages, so it's not a huge amount of money, but it's not a small amount of money either. And what we find here then is a slightly different version of Matthew's parable of the talents. Jesus traveled widely during his ministry, you all know that. As he would travel from place to place, he would teach similar messages in the different places he visited. So it should come as no surprise to us that we have two slightly different versions of this parable recorded in the Gospels. Parable of the talents in Matthew, parable of the minas in Luke. In Matthew's version, the servants received a different amount of money, in part highlighting the different stewardships that we have before the Lord, the different responsibilities each of us have. Well, Jesus' teaching here in Luke places a greater emphasis on the sum total of of each of our stewardships before the Lord. The mina that is given to each servant here, well, it represents all that we have been given. It represents all the responsibilities that each of us have before the Lord. Now, this does not mean that we all receive the same gifts and talents and resources and and opportunities. Well, we clearly do not. The Lord gives different things. He brings different circumstances. But this parable is simply emphasizing the fact that we all have a responsibility to faithfully steward whatever we have been given. All that we have, re- all that we have received, whatever mina you have received, you're responsible to faithfully steward it. Well, the instruction that this nobleman gave to his servants as he departed was this engage. In business. In other words, put the mina I have given you to good use. Steward it well. Be faithful. Well, church, this is your instruction as well. Until Jesus returns, until your life comes to an end, you are to engage in business with what the Lord has given you. You are to be faithful. Jocelyn and Sandra, as you come today in baptism, this is what you are publicly pledging to do. You're pledging to be faithful to the Lord, to faithfully steward the the salvation that he has given you. And church, we should all see, you should all know that Jesus is referring here in Luke to far more than simply your money or, or even to the gospel. You are, of course, to to faithfully steward these things for the glory of the Lord. But brothers and sisters, what is it that you have, what is it that you have been entrusted with? What have you been entrusted with? What are you called to faithfully steward? Well, the answer is everything, all that you have. But just consider these verses. Luke chapter three, verse 11. The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none, and the one who has food must do the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20. through 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Church, your, your life even your body, are not your own. Paul's emphasizing there to pursue sexual purity. Live as God created you, male or female. Pursue holiness. That is your stewardship. 1 Peter 4.10 Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. Your gifts and talents were not given to you just for your own pleasure and comfort. But they were to be stewarded. They are to be stewarded for the good of others and the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. Your time is not your own. It has been given to you by the Lord. You are to make the most of the time you have been given. First Corinthians chapter four, verses one through two. A person should think of us in this way as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we have all been given a stewardship of the gospel, what Paul calls there in first Corinthians, the mysteries of God. We all have a responsibility to know it to protect it, to share it, to steward it for the next generation. Well, the, the list of things that we are called to steward, but friends, it just goes on and on, because everything that you have comes from the hands of the Lord. Paul puts it well in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? So Christians, have you been faithful with what you have received? Have you been faithful with what you have received? Friends, we should also notice that Jesus mentions a second group of people in this parable, not just his servants. Look again at verse 14. There was also a group of the future king's subjects who hated him and they had no desire for him to rule over them. They sent a delegation after this nobleman as he departs, asking that he not be made king. Well, this again would have been familiar to Jesus's original audience, because when Herod the Great's son Archelaus traveled to Rome to secure his kingship and his rule over Judea, after the death of his father, Herod the Great, well, a delegation was sent after him to protest against his rule. Archelaus was a very wicked ruler. By that time, he had already put in thousands of Jews to death, and the people of Judea wanted nothing to do with Archelaus. They did not want him to rule over them, and so they sent a delegation to Rome. It didn't work at first, but about ten years after he began ruling, he was removed from his rule over Judea. But again, it was not Herod Archelaus that Jesus was speaking of here, but himself. Now, Jesus was certainly not wicked like Archelaus, but he was similarly rejected. The majority of those in Israel rejected Jesus outright as the Messiah. The crowds in Jerusalem would soon yell, crucify him. Jesus would be put to death by those he came to save. So why does Jesus highlight this group in the middle of a parable on stewardship? Well, I think at least one reason is that faithfulness requires that you first submit to the authority of King Jesus. True faithfulness, biblical faithfulness, begins with faith. Faithfulness does not earn your salvation. It is the fruit of salvation. You cannot be faithful unless you first submit to the rule of King Jesus. How are you going to steward well what Jesus has given you if you don't even recognize his authority? Now, friends, there are all sorts of reasons you might seek to diligently manage your money or be a good steward of your time. There may be all sorts of reasons you may even outwardly pursue holy living. But only one reason counts. Whether or not you are doing it in the service of the king no matter how well you live, no matter how much good you do for others, if you do not do it in the service of the king, you will not be found faithful. And so friends, for as important as it is to ask, have you been faithful? You must first ask, who are you serving? Are you serving yourself? Serving someone else? Serving Jesus, who is your king? Again, Jocelyn and Sandra, as you come to be baptized, come to be baptized, baptism is to to pledge that it is Jesus who is your king. It is Jesus who is your king. So brothers and sisters, the instructions that we have received is engage in business. Be faithful with what you have been entrusted with. That leads us to the second question of this text. Will you be found faithful? Will you be found faithful? Oh, just like a new employee's performance is evaluated at the end of the probation period, there is a time where your own faithfulness to the Lord will be assessed. Matthew 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will reward each according to to what? He has done. Now well, We see the, the judgment to be faced by those who reject the king's rule in verse 27. But bring here these enemies of mine who do did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Well, those who do not willingly submit to the rule of King Jesus now will face his wrath when he returns. Those who do not bow their knee now to King Jesus will be justly sentenced to an eternity in hell. They will not be found faithful. But look at verse 15. At his return, the king also summoned his servants to give an account of their stewardship. Christian, one day you will have to give an account of your stewardship before the Lord. All will have to give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. Will you be found faithful? Well, in this parable we see that two of the king's servants were faithful to obey their master's instructions to engage in business while he was away. One was able to earn 10 minas with the mina he was given. The other was able to earn five. They were faithful stewards. And as a result, they were both richly rewarded at the king's return. Now these servants receive different rewards. One received authority over 10 towns. one received authority over five. But I do not think that different reward is the focus of the parable. Now could it be that this parable is teaching that there are different levels of reward in heaven? Yes, that is certainly possible. We all have different talents and abilities. Some will be able to produce 10 minas while others will be able to produce only five. We will not all be equally faithful. Uh, Some of us who could have produced ten with what the Lord has given us will have squandered some of what he has given and only produced five. It is possible that we will receive different heavenly rewards. But if so, as Jonathan Edwards writes, those that have a lower station in glory than others suffer no lessening of their own happiness by seeing others above them in glory. There is going to be no unhappiness and no jealousy. However, I think the main point of this parable is not found in the different different levels of rewards given to these servants, but in the fact that each servant was rewarded for his faithfulness. There is no hint of condemnation or criticism given to the servant who only produced five minus. He, like the first servant, he only receives praise and reward. Therefore, I think the focus is on the importance of faithful stewardship, not the fruit that may come from that faithfulness. All results are in the hands of the Lord in the first place. We are called to be faithful. That is our job. That's the business we are to engage in. We are to be faithful. We're to leave the results in His hands. No matter how faithful we are, we are dependent on the Lord to produce the results. A church, there is a great encouragement in that to your own faithfulness. Parents, you are not judged on whether your child ever places their faith in the Lord, but whether you are faithful to instruct them in the gospel and train them in godly living. Friends, you are not judged on whether you accomplish great things for the Lord, at least from an earthly perspective. You are judged on whether you faithfully use your time and talents to diligently seek him, and serve him wherever he has placed you. Pastors are not judged on the size of their ministry, but on their faithfulness to the gospel. And so, friends, be encouraged that both faithful servants were richly rewarded for their faithfulness. And just notice the great grace of the king here. Each servant was given a mina that was not theirs to begin with, It was an act of the king's grace to give them this mina. Just as the things that we have in this life are not our own, we did nothing to earn them. And though a mina was a relatively small amount of money, each were given authority over a town for each mina that they earned. I mean, one mina equals one town. Who would not make that investment? It was like your employer telling him, if you earn one Durham, you're going to get a villa. I mean, faithfulness in small matters Earthly matters leads to great reward, heavenly reward. The Lord is not teaching here that if you're faithful in earthly things, you're going to get the desires of your heart and be blessed in an earthly way. Small matters, earthly matters lead to heavenly reward, not necessarily earthly reward. And we see the king's grace in the fact that they were just servants. They owed obedience to the master. They were servants. There was no requirement or expectation for reward. And yet the king was eager to be generous on his return. Now church, Jesus is a gracious king. He gives his servants far more than they deserve and far more than they could ever expect. So brothers and sisters, let that be an encouragement to your own faithfulness. The Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, this enormous generosity of the master makes what follows with the unfaithful servant so striking. Look again with me, starting in verse 20. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, why then did you not put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. This unfaithful servant did not obey the master and he did not engage in business while the master was away. Instead, he simply folded up his mina in a cloth and he set it aside in a safe place until the day that his master suddenly and unexpectedly returned. He neglected his obligations as both a steward and also his obligations as a servant. He was unfaithful. Now, he defended his unfaithfulness by accusing the master of being a harsh man. Church, I I think we see that this unfaithful servant knew nothing of the master's grace. Friends, wrong belief, wrong belief always leads to wrong action. Theology matters because wrong belief leads to wrong action. The fuel of the Christian life, the driving force of the Christian life is not fear of God's judgment. Christians have been freed from His judgment through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the fuel of the Christian life is not fear of God's judgment. It is love of His grace. It is love of His grace that is the fuel of the Christian life. The servant did not know the master's grace. And it seems that the servant's accusation about the master being harsh, was simply an excuse for his own unfaithfulness. I mean, friends, how quick we can be to blame God for our own sin. Like, if he just wouldn't have allowed this in my life, I would have been faithful. That's what this servant is doing. The evidence that this was just an excuse was that this unfaithful servant did not even act in accordance with what he said he believed about the master. He was, in fact, condemned by his very own words. If he truly believed that the master were a harsh man, he would have at least put the money safely in a bank where it could have collected some amount of interest. So, friends, pretend for a moment that you manage a coffee shop here in the UAE. Some of you may not have to imagine this may be your job. Let's say the owner of your coffee shop is truly and actually a harsh man, a, a demanding man, unlike Jesus. How do you think it would go if he said this when he stopped by to check on the shop after your first week of management, and you say this to him? Boss, I decided to keep the shop closed this week because I was afraid I might drop a coffee cup and break it and you would be angry. I was afraid you would be angry if I accidentally made a mistake with the the money when I was giving change to a customer who came in and bought a coffee. I decided that the best way to protect your investment was just to stay closed. So I made no money this week, but see, I'm returning to you your coffee shop in the exact same way that you gave it to me. Friends, how do you think the owner of the coffee shop would respond? Oh, he would, of course, fire you. He would fire you for being an unfaithful employee. But this would be exactly what you deserve. The owner would not be harsh to fire you. He would be just so it was with the unfaithful servant. He received exactly what he deserved. And so what he was entrusted with was taken away and it was given to the servant who already had 10 minus. And notice that those who were present, those that were present there and observed this taking place, they did not object to the master's judgment They did not object to the fact that this minor was taken away. What they objected to, what was surprising and unexpected and controversial to them, it was the master's grace that he would give this to the servant who already had so many. On the other hand, the judgment of the unfaithful servant was expected. It was just. Friends, the mystery of Christianity, it is not why God does not choose to save everyone. That is not the mystery. But instead, why he chooses to save anyone. Friends, it is his grace that is the surprise. We are undeserving of it. It is his grace that is the surprise. Although this unfaithful servant lost what he had, I do not believe that Jesus is teaching here that someone can lose their salvation. John 6, 39, This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Those who truly know the Lord are safe in the Lord. I think instead the truth is that this servant never truly knew his master. He did not know of his abundant grace. Again, who would not invest the money of someone so gracious that if you earn one mina, you're going to get one town. Or if you earn one Durham, you're going to get a, a villa. My friends, this servant did not truly know the king. And so in the end, he received judgment instead of reward. He was counted as one of those subjects who rejected the king's rule. He lost everything. My friends, it is in this contrast between the two faithful servants and the one unfaithful servant. It is in that contrast that we get a picture of what true faithfulness looks like. Unfaithfulness is simply to sit on what you have been entrusted with. Tuck it away. Do nothing with it. Waste it. Maybe use it for your your own pleasure instead of the master's business. But faithfulness is seen in using what you have been given to go about the king's business. Brothers and sisters, as we have already seen, Christians have a comprehensive call to faithfulness. It encompasses our whole life. Therefore, the application of this parable is broad. It touches on every area of our lives. The application is somewhat different for each one of us. We have not all received the same things. Nevertheless, let me ask you a few questions to help you evaluate your own faithfulness. Christian, have you been faithful to steward the gospel that you have received? Have you been faithful to share it, or would it be more accurate to say that you've wrapped it up in a cloth and hidden it? try to imagine Christianity today, if the disciples of Jesus never shared what they had been entrusted with. What about your own life, if the person you heard the gospel from was not faithful to share it? Brothers and sisters, do the people in your life know that you're a Christian? Have they ever heard you speak of Jesus and his salvation? Do you live a life of holiness that is worthy of the gospel? Does your life give praise to the king? Does it commend the gospel? Parents, have you been faithful to teach the gospel and to instruct your children in the way of the Lord? Or are you just hoping that your kids will figure it out someday? Are you relying on the church to do the job that you should be doing as parents? Parents, if you are not teaching the Bible to your children at home, you are not being a fully faithful parent. If you are not teaching the Bible and the gospel to your children at home, you are not being a fully faithful parent. If you're not sure how to start doing that or you need some help, I would be happy to talk with you more. We have some books on that very matter back there on the table that you are welcome to check out about how to instruct your kids in the Bible, to teach them the Bible. Christian, are you being faithful with the time that you have been given? What do you seek to do with your free time? Are you faithful to regularly use at least some of your time to cultivate your relationship with the Lord, to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer? Do you prioritize gathering with his people each week at church? Are you faithful to use your your time to serve others and to show hospitality or only to pursue your own pleasure and comfort? Are you being faithful with the the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given you? Do you invest in other people and seek to build them up? Do your gifts and talents simply go to building your career, or do they go to building Christ's kingdom? Christian, are you faithfully using the money that God has entrusted you with? Do you even know where it is going? Do you have a semblance of a budget? Do you unwisely loan out more money than you can afford to lose? Do you borrow more money than you can afford to repay? Do you seek advice maybe before you borrow or loan? Are you faithful to to give to the work of the Lord? Are you generous with others? And how are you stewarding what you have been given? How are you stewarding what you have been given? Again friends, the question of this parable is have you been faithful with what you have received. Have you been faithful with what you have received. Church, what you need to see is that the ultimate answer to that question is no. No, you have not been fully faithful with what you have received. None of us have been fully faithful with what we have received. I have not been fully faithful with what I have received Pastor Ben has not been fully faithful with what he has received. None of us have been fully faithful with what we have received. If you're honest with yourself, it does not take you long to think of ways that you have been horribly unfaithful with what the Lord has provided. In fact, that list of questions that I just asked may have only served to fill you with guilt for all the ways that you have fallen far short of God's call to faithful stewardship. But it gets worse than that. We have not just been unfaithful with what we have been given. We have turned our back on the one who has given it to us. We have actively rebelled against the rule of Jesus. Friends, that is what sin is. It is to rebel against the righteous rule of Jesus. And we are all, we were all born sinners by nature. We were born by nature in that group of the king's future subjects who rebelled against his rule and had no desire for King Jesus to rule over them. That is how we were all born. That is what sin is. Sin is to join the delegation of those who say we have no desire for King Jesus to rule over us. So what is it that each and every one of us deserve? We deserve the just and righteous judgment reserved for the enemies of the king. We, like the unfaithful servant, deserve to have no reward. But friends, in the midst of all this bad news, there is one great hope. One glorious hope. Well, It is the great grace of King Jesus. Before Jesus ascended into heaven to receive his kingship and to rule and reign at the right hand of the Father, what is it that he did? Friends, in His mercy and love, He came to earth and He perfectly did the will of His Father. Where we were unfaithful, where we have been unfaithful, where we continue to be unfaithful, Jesus instead was faithful in every way. Friends, it is Jesus who is the only true, perfect, and faithful servant of the Lord. He is the new and better Adam, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God. And on the basis of His perfect faithfulness, Jesus died to save a people for Himself. He took the wrath reserved for us and He suffered and He died in our place. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, Jesus died to rule or Jesus rules over a people that He died to save. Not because we deserve it, not because of our faithfulness, but because of His great grace and love. Friends, it is not It is not your own faithfulness that qualifies you to be citizens and servants of the king. It is not your own faithfulness that qualifies you to be a citizen or a servant of King Jesus. It is only the perfect faithfulness of Jesus himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christian, at the moment of your salvation, Jesus took all of your sin, all of your sin, all of your unfaithfulness. He took it and he placed it on himself, and he gave you his perfect righteousness and his perfect faithfulness in its place. Therefore, all who are found in Christ on the last day will be found faithful. That is the good news of the gospel. All who are found in Christ on the last day will be found faithful in God's sight. The answer to that question, will you be found faithful? Well, the answer is, have you believed? Have you rested on Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you confessed your unfaithfulness to Him and sought His faithfulness? Friends, it is not your faithfulness that earns God's favor. Never make the mistake of thinking your obedience is a tool to earn God's favor or blessing. God's favor is not earned. It is freely bestowed in Jesus Christ. God delights in you. He delights in His people. Not because you are so delightful, but He delights in you because He delights in His Son. And you have been united to His Son. Church, your own faithfulness is a response to the grace that God has freely given. Your own faithfulness is produced by believing that the God who has shown you His great grace in Jesus Christ will continue to make His every grace abound to you. It is the grace of the King that motivates our faithfulness. Friends, it was the grace of the Master to give these servants their mina in the first place. It was His grace to richly reward them, though they had only done their duty. And friends, in the end, what did the faithful servants find? They found even greater grace. To everyone who has more will be given. Well, friends, God gives greater grace. Again, that is not a promise of earthly reward, but a promise of His sustaining grace to be faithful, a promise of His heavenly reward. God gives greater grace. Friends, uh, the reason that the legal concept of fiduciary duty exists is because sometimes there's a conflict of interest between the person who manages the money and the person who they're managing it for. Their interests are not always aligned, so there could be a temptation for the trustee to act in their own interest at the expense of the client. But it is not so with us in the Lord. There is no conflict of interest. To work for His glory is to pursue your good. To work for God's glory, friends, is to pursue your good. Jesus is a gracious King. He is eager, and He is ready to lavish His grace on His faithful servants. Church, is that not a king that you want to serve? Do you not want to engage in business for a king like that? Do you not want to know even more of his grace? So brothers and sisters, grow in the knowledge and love of his grace. Trust in his grace. Rely on his grace and be faithful. King Jesus is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's pray.